Welcome to the hills. If you're at Southlake campus, West Fort Worth campus, or watching online, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're hearing the last of a short series I've done in the month of August entitled Essential Church. And the premise of this series is that it is essential for us as Christians to gather together regularly as the community of faith. Uh, when the pandemic began and churches suspended in-person gatherings for a season, they began to offer online experiences of worship. And some began to wonder, well, how essential is it for us to get together if I can do all this worshiping at my own home? And I'm contending that it is very essential. Now, I completely understand that we are still in a season where many people do not need to be in large gatherings yet. We completely understand. We support your decision for a time to stay home. But what I'm suggesting is that when the time comes that we all can get back together, we all should get back together. We said it's essential to our faith. It's essential to our growth. And I want to share with you today why I think our coming together is essential to our mission. So a woman named Mary wrote into a magazine to tell a story about her four-year-old daughter, or granddaughter, Dawn. And Dawn locked herself in the bathroom and panicked and began screaming frantically for Granny to rescue her. And so Mary showed up at the door and said, Dawn, I'm going to have to go and find the key, and it may take a little while. But you be patient, I'll be back, and I'll let you out. And just remember, God is in there with you. And Donna replied, yes, I know, and God wants to get out too. <laughs> well, God does want to get out. It is essential for God to get out into our community and the world. And many good things happened among churches during the pandemic. But one of the most negative impacts of the pandemic was the evangelistic impact of the global church. That reaching people for Christ seemed to shut down when Christians were shut in. I've talked to over a hundred pastors in the last year across the world, and we all acknowledge a lot of good things were done by Christian people during the pandemic. But nobody has said, we had our best year of evangelism ever. We had our most baptisms. We had our most decisions for Christ. Now, maybe it happened somewhere, but I'm telling you as a general rule, when we stopped coming together, <coughs> people stopped coming to Jesus. Or to put it another way, Christians who gather more consistently seem to scatter more intentionally. They seem to understand that you don't join a church just so the church will provide you worship offerings. You join a church to commit to a mission. A mission that is essential to Jesus. And here's the mission. Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. <coughs> the church's mission is to preach the gospel, to take it to the whole world. 
Because people need the gospel. If they didn't need the gospel, Jesus wouldn't have told us to take it to everybody. Now, with this commission of Jesus comes two very critical assumptions. And the first is that the world needs saving. Jesus thinks the world needs saving. That people don't just need to be repaired, they need to be redeemed. And that's why Jesus would consistently refer to his coming as a rescue operation. He said in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's Jesus' word. He did not call people far from God unchurched or seekers or searchers. He said they are lost. It's a sobering word. He told a parable about a shepherd that lost a sheep and went to find it. Why? Because in their culture, everybody understood a lost sheep is about to be a dead sheep. In uh, Mark 4, the disciples are out in a boat with Jesus in a storm. It's scary. And Jesus is asleep. And they wake him up. Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? That's the word. Jesus used a word to describe people far from God that said they're about to die. They're about to die eternally. Now, When the church loses this theology of lostness that Jesus had, the church loses her urgency. And we begin to experience mission drift. To Jesus, the gospel is not just good news. It is essential news. People need the gospel because people need to be saved. And there's a second critical assumption then. That Jesus said, not only do people need to be saved, but He is essential to that salvation. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus did not present Himself as a way to God, but as the way to God. Jesus said in John 8, for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. So understand that when the early church lived on mission, they preached the gospel to the world. And the gospel they preached proclaimed that the imputed righteousness of Jesus was essential if you want to be right with God. Peter said, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they can be saved but the name of Jesus. John said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Paul said, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And so the early church did not preach the gospel as charity, but as necessity. People need the gospel. But there's a second half that's just as critical. People need the gospel, and the gospel needs a people. The gospel needs a community that will take it to the world. We've already seen that Jesus said, I intend to build a church upon the confession that I am the Son of God. 
And through this church, he intends to pursue a global agenda. Through the church, Jesus intends to take back the world that Satan has illegitimately claimed for himself. Now, you may not think you need the church. Jesus does. Jesus needs his church because the gospel needs a people that will take it to the world. Jesus needs a church that will stay on mission. A church that will knock down walls instead of hide behind walls. He needs a church that will take the gospel to the world. He needs a church that will gather so that we can scatter. And he needs a church that will scatter so that we can gather. The church is essential to the mission of Jesus. The last time I was in New York City, I got to see this church, St. Paul's Chapel, built in the 1700s. A lot of famous Americans have worshiped there. In fact, George Washington worshiped at that church on the day he was inaugurated to be the first president of our country. That church is right across the street from the Twin Towers that collapsed on 9-11. And amazingly, the church was unharmed. Not one single window was even broken. And that day the church received a new mission. You see, as the first responders rushed in to try to rescue people, they became exhausted, tired, and hungry. So St. Paul's Chapel became their place of refuge. It's where they could go and get food, where they could go and sleep, where they could go and clean up, where they could just go and grieve. And they would go there and get restored so that they could go back to the mission of trying to rescue people. This is what Jesus asked his church to do. And what I want to do is share with you now a look at my favorite local church in the New Testament. The church I hope the hills becomes like more than any other church in the New Testament. It's the church in Antioch, a church on mission. Read with me starting first in chapter 11 of Acts. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Serene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And then two chapters later, we learn more. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. And one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. And so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on 
their way. Now, you probably noticed there were a number of firsts at this special church. It was the first church where believers were called Christians. It was the first church to cross ethnic boundaries and include Gentiles. It was the first church to intentionally pursue missionary church planting. And it's significant to me that God chose Antioch as the kind of church he wanted planted across the world. He chose leaders from Antioch and said, you go and take this gospel to all the nations. Because Antioch was a church on mission. And let me just share with you a couple of things that means for a church. And the first is, and we learned this from Antioch, a church on mission preaches a gospel that can save anyone. The Christians in Antioch believed that people needed Jesus. It says a large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. It said many people were brought to the Lord. Now here's the point. They're not just preaching an ethic. They're not just going into the city saying, we don't care what you believe just as long as you're nice to your neighbor. They weren't just preaching a philosophy. They were specifically calling on people to follow Jesus. To turn their lives and their hearts over and surrender to Jesus. And they did so by preaching a gospel that could call anyone. It was at Antioch that the gospel was freed from its Jewish cultural trappings to become a message any culture could embrace. Up to this point, people had only preached to Jews. Up to this point, they just thought that you have to be a Jew to be a Christian. You have to know Moses to know Jesus. It was at Antioch that they took those Jewish trappings off and just preached pure Jesus. They preached a gospel that any culture could receive. The church in Jerusalem heard about this. This was a new thing. They sent Barnabas up to check it out. He saw the evidence of God's blessing and grace, and he loved it. But not everybody in Jerusalem did. If you read in Acts 15, some other guys came up from Jerusalem and said to the church, you got to stop this right now. You got to tell people they have to get circumcised before they can get baptized. And there was a sharp debate and everybody trucked on down to Jerusalem to have a church conference. Most important church conference ever. Because what's on the table is what's necessary for salvation. Now imagine if that conference had decided you have to get circumcised before you can be baptized. You don't have a gospel that can go into all the world. But it was at that conference that Peter made one of the most important statements in all of Scripture in chapter 11 of Acts 15. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Now that's a gospel that you can take to the world. That's a gospel that can be embraced by every culture and transcend every culture. We're all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of Jesus is a gospel of a church on mission. And nobody championed 
this gospel of undeserved grace more than Paul did because no one knew it was true more than Paul did. Now, I don't know what you've done in your past, but I bet you don't have, I used to kill Christians on your resume. Paul did. Paul knew it is the undeserved grace of Jesus that can save anyone. And at Antioch, God prepared Paul to release the gospel that had released him. He would write to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst sinners. Listen, the church is at her best when she believes the gospel can save even the worst. This gospel can save anyone. Now, over 400 years ago, a man lived in Italy named Antonio Stradivarius. He made violins. You may have heard of them. They're the most desired in all the world. No one knew it at the time. See, he was a poor man. He couldn't afford the best wood. He had to go down to the harbor and get waterlogged wood that had been thrown away to use for his violins. What no one at that time knew is that the microbes in the water ate the uh, fibrous infrastructure of the wood and created these chambers that the music could resonate in. He took what nobody wanted and it became what everybody wanted. And that's what the gospel does. It takes the broken and the ruined and the wicked and it claims them for Jesus because the gospel can save anyone. Now, a week and a half ago at the North Richard Hills campus, we had a prayer service for Haiti and Afghanistan. It was a powerful night. And my brother David Meyer got up and he started talking about Saul, the man who used to kill Christians. Do you think in his day, if you were a Christian, you were praying for Saul? You probably hoped he would die. And he did die. <laughs> he died in Jesus Christ. He was crucified and raised again. And then David turned it over and started talking about the Taliban and asked us if we were praying for the Taliban. And I was convicted. I do not have good feelings about the Taliban. I don't think good thoughts about the Taliban. It wouldn't bother me if I heard that bad things happened to the Taliban. And then the Spirit said, God wants them to die too. He wants them to die into Jesus Christ. And ever since I've been praying for the Taliban. And I'm going to tell you something, it's not easy. But I've been praying every day since that Jesus will show up just like He did to Saul on the road to Damascus and they will have supernatural encounters with the risen Christ and God will bring out a revival in Afghanistan. Because I believe in a gospel that can save anyone. And I ought to know because I preached to a church full of people that just a few years ago no one thought would ever be a follower of Jesus. Including you. But somebody was praying for you. Because they believed in the gospel. And this is the message of a church on mission. But here's the thing. The church doesn't just preach this grace. The church puts this grace on display. 
It's a gospel that can save anyone. And it's a gospel that can reconcile everyone. And the church on mission practices that kind of gospel. And by the way, this is why I think it is so essential that Christian people regularly get together. And here's what I mean. It's just so hard to overemphasize how critical and radical it was when, as Luke said, some Christians started preaching to the Gentiles. That had never happened. Antioch was the first church to intentionally cross racial boundaries with the gospel. Antioch was a bigoted city, like most cities are. It was a very segregated city, with each race having its own part of town they stayed in. And along comes this group of people, and they start crossing racial boundaries, and they start meeting together regularly, and they seem to like it. And no one has ever seen this before. Which might explain why the believers in Antioch were given a label no one had ever used before. Who are those people getting together the way they are and loving on each other? Oh, those are the Christ people. You know, they're the Christians. That's who they are. From membership all the way to leadership, the church in Antioch modeled a reconciliation among men that gave evidence to the possibility of reconciliation with God. And this is the message God wanted to get out. It's why he chose Antioch, not Jerusalem, but Antioch to be the church that would send out the missionaries that would change the world. Because that's the church he wants in all the world. And it's significant that Paul goes out from Antioch and not one time does Paul plant a mono-ethnic church, which would have been so much easier because multi-ethnic church is messy. The reason we have the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians and the book of Romans is because multi-ethnic church is messy. But Paul understood, if you're going to preach the full gospel, if you're going to convince people that anyone can be reconciled to God, you've got to put that grace on display by the way it's reconciled us to each other. A gospel that only makes people right with God is incomplete. Notice how he put it in the book of Ephesians. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. It would have been so much easier if Paul had said, all you people that look and talk and like this, go to this house for church. And all you people that look and talk like that, go to this house for church. And Paul knew 
If he did that, it would be easy. The problem is, it wouldn't be gospel. That walls come down when the cross is lifted up. And know this, God hates separate but equal. And that's why Jesus is building a church that models what only the Spirit of God can do. Jesus needs a church on mission. He needs a church that will preach and practice the gospel. And so does the world. In 1984, a film was distributed called Places in the Heart. The lead actress, Sally Field, won an Oscar for Best Actress for that movie. And the movie had one of the strangest endings of any movie Hollywood's ever made. I want to show you a clip from that movie while I talk over it. She was married to a young man. They raised cotton. And at the beginning of the movie, her husband is accidentally shot by a young black man who is lynched for a crime that wasn't a crime. Now she's a widow. She's got to try to survive. There's a banker about to foreclose on the farm. This unemployed black man named Moses shows up and teaches her how to raise cotton. Now there's some other drama going on in the town. There's a young couple that you see on the screen now that have been, uh, had their marriage attacked by infidelity. Uh, there's the clan in town that ran Moses out of town. And at the end of the movie, they're in church. The preacher has read from 1 Corinthians 13 about love, and they start to take communion. And all of a sudden, you see Moses, who was run out of town earlier. He's there taking communion. And you see the clan, and you see black tenant farmers, and you see the banker, and you see that couple whose marriage had blown up. And then you see the young widow taking communion with her children. And then she takes the tray and she turns and gives it to her husband who had died early in the movie, who takes the tray and gives it to the young black man who accidentally shot him and was lynched. And the movie ends. What on earth was the filmmaker trying to say? One thing I appreciate about the film is he doesn't pretend that, that problems like racism and poverty and marital unfaithfulness are easy to fix. Maybe he's saying that there's a coming a day when we'll finally have the community we've always wanted. But the thing that was so striking is it all happened in a church. It happened while the church was taking communion. Well, the church was celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus as if he was trying to say the only message that will ever create the kind of community we all want is the message the church alone has. The message of Jesus. And that's why I believe church is essential. And that's why I believe we can't get this message 
to the world as long as we're all staying in our homes. We have to come together. It's not about drawing a crowd. It's about putting the kingdom of God on display for the world. And so we commit to this rhythm of gathering and scattering. Because we know that if we get grace right in here, it helps get God out there. Pray with me. I pray, God, that this message will bear fruit. Beginning with this, would you give us all the desire to want to be the church Jesus wanted? The church Jesus wanted. The church that preaches undeserved grace and puts it on display every time they get together. I pray the day will come when if people ask, well, what is the Hills Church like? Is it full of mainly white people or black people or brown people? The answer will be, I don't know. But it's full of Christians. It's full of people sold out to Jesus. Help us be a church that makes Jesus look good. For His glory. And in His name we ask it. Amen.